Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone. Final segment of Inside Sources on a Monday. Great to be with you. I am Boyd Matheson. We've had some great discussions today. Uh, we've talked about this whole idea that we've uh, we've got to get past rageism. Uh, the the rage is is really what's keeping us a safe distance from actually having meaningful conversations that will solve problems and lead to to better solutions for people across the spectrum. Uh, but especially in our communities and in our country and how important it is for us to not buy into whatever the rage of the day is or the selective rage uh, or whatever it may be. The fundraising rage is uh, one that we uh, get hit with every single day. And so we have to to reassess and recalibrate how we respond to that because we've sort of become like Pavlov's dog. We hear the, the rage uh, on TV. Uh, we hear the rage uh, on a social media site and we respond we react to it rather than stepping back and doing the one thing that only we humans can do and that is choose our response uh, to the stimulus coming in but often we forget that and we just respond to react with more rage and we escalate things even things that shouldn't be escalated and so it is time to to think about things just a, a little bit differently. And uh, we've had some great conversations about that. Everything from race. Scott Rasmussen joined us early in the program. Uh, and if you missed any of these segments, you can go onto uh, the KSL News Radio app, uh, powered by our friends at Any Hour Services, or go to kslnewsradio.com. You can select the individual podcasts of each of the segments of the show uh, from one to three every day, and a great chance to go back and review or share. Uh, with others, some of these important conversations that we're striving to have uh, day in and day out. And it was interesting uh, that uh, this morning, as we were kind of kicking around ideas for the day, uh, and that's one of the things that I love about KSL News Radio is there's always a conversation going on about something that's happening in the world, and it leads to interesting conversations. Uh, Debbie Dejanovic and I were uh, just chatting this morning about, okay, where should we go? What's interesting? What's happening? And uh, and I mentioned something about uh, kind of this coalition style governing and what would that mean to the current two major political parties? Uh, and so Debbie and Dave and I had a great conversation on Dave and Dejanovic uh, about what that could mean, what that could look like. Uh, and I said something on there that uh, it caused a few people to chime in uh, on my t- on my text line, on my personal text line, uh, and say, "Wait a minute! Did you really did you really say that one potential historic legacy uh, of the Donald J. Trump presidency could be compromise and collaboration?" And the answer is yes. 
It is yes, and let me tell you why. I just want to break this down a little bit. And again, I don't care if you loved President Trump. I don't care if you detested President Trump. Uh, I hope you didn't hate because uh, hate's another issue for another day, uh, but it's not good for you. It uh, doesn't impact the other person that much. Uh, so whether you detested his policies and his persona and all of those things or whether you loved uh, President Trump as your president, uh, there is an interesting legacy that I think historically uh, could be significant. Uh, and as you start to break that down, we're, we're nearly 100 days into the Biden administration, so we'll be assessing that to more next week. Uh, but as you look back at the the Trump administration, I think historians will look at a, a number of things. You know, will it will it be his you know populist America First message as a legacy? Will it be his appointments to the Supreme Court, uh, or his uh, often overlooked uh, dismantling of a lot of uh, government regulation? Uh, a lot of people, of course, will point to his presidency as one with a lot of personal attacks, political opponents, a lot of detractors. Uh, Twitter rants, divisive rhetoric, uh, all of those things will be mixed up into the history books uh, that will be sure to follow. But in the end, I think one of his legacies could be, could be, if it's embraced, uh, one of compromise and a very different one deal at a time approach to politics. So I know some of you are thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. Cooperation, collaboration, compromise, really? Uh, hear me out on this. Uh, so the, the guy that rode into Washington on the, the art of the deal uh, showed that transactional politics can work. Not perfectly, but it can work. Uh, I, I've long stated and held the belief that the president is a transactional person. He is not relational. He's not about relationship building. He's about transactions or deals. So to him... Washington and the White House were never about having a, a relationship with a political party uh, or any other politician. Every deal was based on the deal in front of him and the current moment. In fact, I <laughs> I said over the last four years that Senator Mitch McConnell's struggle, uh, especially early in the Trump administration, was that he was still functioning in kind of a 1970s mindset where because you were part of the same political party, you had a strong relationship. Uh, but President Trump never saw it that way. His transactional nature is what allowed him to, to make deals with people across the political spectrum. He could cut a deal with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi on the debt ceiling and increasing the debt ceiling, not a very Republican or conservative thing to do, but he could make that deal with the Democrats in the morning and then he could be against them and melt down their Twitter feeds in a, in a rant about immigration disputes hours later. So everything was just a single one-off transaction. So th the approach during the last four years did prove successful in some areas, uh, avoiding government shutdowns. Uh, I think the most important probably legacy of his administration will be historic criminal justice reform. But the president... Trump's willingness to set aside relationships to just assess a deal uh, could be a benefit to the country in a very deeply divided political class. Notice I did not say a divided nation or a divided country. It is a divided political class. Don't forget that. Uh, historically, party relationships, uh, even within wings of a party, have determined whether or not members of Congress or groups 
think tanks and so on, political action groups, uh, could ever work together on an issue or a bill. This is where we fell into the political purity test uh, that often prevented uh, progress from being made on a whole host of issues uh, for a long time, far too long in our country. Uh, because sadly, sadly for many politicians, the, the question has become, if I agree with this person on this one issue, but I disagree with them on everything else, can I still work with them on this one issue that we agree on? And that's someone within your party. Uh, the question of can I work with someone from the other side uh, without being attacked by my friends or my fellow party members or activists? Am I going to get a primary challenger because of this? Uh, I think this is one of the most needed leadership qualities we have in the world today. Uh, it's a complex world, and our ability uh, to understand allies and alliances uh, to get things done is critical. You know, Winston Churchill faced a real critical question. What does he do with Germany and the Soviet Union during World War II? Now, he proved to be pretty deft at uh, working all of that through, uh, recognizing he needed some allies, he needed some alliances, and we have that kind of same test today. Uh, I've often used the example of, you know, we're going to compete head-to-head -head against China and against Russia on a whole host of things, critical things, challenging things. But we got to have China and Russia on board as an ally if we're ever going to deal with nuclear threats coming out of North Korea. And so it's this interesting, can we get to a more coalition style, one issue at a time style kind of governing? Uh, I think creating space for that model, as imperfect as it would be for sure, but creating space where people can say, well, yeah, I, I disagree on with representative so-and-so on 99% of the issues, but I agree with her on this one issue, then go do that. Go make that happen. Go have that conversation with the American people. Uh, so I think if we went down that path, it would be an interesting challenge for the two political parties. And I guarantee you, they will fight it. Why? Power, money, and influence. Uh, there is no mistake as to why six of the 10 wealthiest counties in America are suburbs of Washington, D.C., uh, those folks don't create cars or computers or widgets or anything else. It's power, money, and influence. And that's the biggest challenge we have to face. And so as you look at your elected official, can they be transactional? Can they find common ground on single issues and make a deal? I think it's worth pursuing. Definitely worth thinking about. I'm Boyd Matheson. Great to be with you on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio today. And as always, as you go out into the world, make sure you see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something that makes a difference. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind 
only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.